0: Before we start the show, if you want more stock talking, check out my newsletter at tinyletter.com slash bbrostoff or visit postcoronastocks.com. You can find me on Twitter at, at bmb21. Now on to the show. Welcome to Stock Talking, an exploration of financial markets in the context of the post-corona world. COVID-19 has changed the way we value equity, debt, and business as a whole. My goal is to find great companies who can thrive in the new normal. I can't wait to get started. All right, welcome to another episode of Stock Talking. Very excited for today's guest. It is the creator of kathystark.com. Everything you ever want to know about all of Kathy Wood's ETFs, all of ARK investing, um, the trades they've made, the portfolio composition. This is the de facto best website I've come across. I'm following the Twitter feed the website, the trading floor discussion for quite a while. And Phil Andrews is the guy behind the scenes who does it all. Um, definitely recommend you check it out. I think it's just a great resource for understanding not only uh, what's going on with ARC investing, but just ETFs in general. So Phil, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And I'm pretty excited to have a little chat here.
0: Awesome. So I figured we'd kick it off by talking a bit about your background and what got you interested in ARC investing and wanting to build uh, this website and kind of the tools that you've built in general
1: sure um so i guess let's go all the way back to the beginning um i was i'm in my early 30s now i bought my first stock when i was 15 um, under my mom's name it was benihana restaurant i don't know if anybody would remember that i don't even know if they're still around they probably have a couple locations but um i was the first stock i bought and i've just been in the markets and trading and investing for that entire time, Um, sometimes more heavier than others. But over the course of the years, I've just stayed up to date with what's going on in the markets. Um, I hadn't been as invested in the markets in terms of time until earlier this year. And I think like a lot of people, when the pandemic rolled around, um, it gave a little bit more time to really focus on certain things that you were looking to do. And so my real inception into Kathy Wood's realm was when i started buying tesla back in 2017 her name popped up a couple times i didn't really pay much attention to it and then like i start seeing it more and more and more and of course you know early this year actually before the pandemic rolled around i started following her a bit more closely and um you know realized that arc was active and that i could actually see the things that they were doing and that all of their holdings were the sweet spot of what I like to invest in, which is the cutting edge emerging technologies, the next thing that's going to happen. And that's not something that really a lot of people like to do. I guess a lot of people do like the possible reward of that, but a lot of people don't like that cutting edge. And even to this day, I have, on if you open Safari in my browser, I have it bookmarked as like the little quick tab, the emerging technologies list from Wikipedia. And I used to, I used to browse it quite a bit and like go through all of that stuff. Um, it's been up there for, I don't know, maybe half a decade at this point in time. It's on my Chrome bar. Um, so once I found Kathy Woods and realized I could peruse all her holdings, it was a pretty quick uh, rotation into, oh, well, I'm going to follow this. And like, if you're going to give me data, I really want to track it and see what's going on and what your moves are. You are the tip of the spear. I can see all of your analysts' insight through your purchases in the market. This is incredible. So that's how I came about Kathy's Arc, um, or, you know, introduction to, to Kathy Woods. The website itself, Kathy's Ark, was really just I had been collecting the data. And then I thought, yeah, I bet other people would be interested in this as well. Let me throw up a really quick site to see if anybody was. And sure enough, little by little, people started coming to the site either through Google or I started the Twitter account and overnight I had like 50 followers. So I was like, okay, there's probably something here. Let me make this a little bit nicer for everybody and for myself really, because I use it every single day. I'm on Kathy's Ark looking at different things. It's, uh, it's a fun resource. I'm, I'm glad it exists. So I'm glad other people like it
0: as well. Yeah, I'm really glad you built it. I found myself also reviewing it uh, most days of the week. And as you mentioned with the data uh, the website provides, and I'm talking about um, ARK Investing, um, as well as your website, but the, the data provided on a daily basis, uh, I guess for her, ETF, uh, her ETFs, because there are several of them, as well as ETFs in general, I had no idea kind of how rich it was, and kind of what you could construct out of that. So could you, could you talk a little bit about the data you're using to construct the website, and some of the metrics available um, that you're using to put together some of the amazing charts and graphs on Kathy's Arc?
1: Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there are two main sources of truth for Cathy's Arc. And then there are a basket of different APIs and data sources that allow uh, synthesizing of different metrics within Cathy's Arc. But the two main sources of data are the trade data, which Arc Invest is an active ETF, which means that every day they have to disclose their holdings to the public because the public can own their ETFs they are required to disclose all of that information. So they disclose it in two ways, the daily trades and the actual holdings within each fund. So if in, let's say the main fund ARKK, they make 12 trades, they have to disclose those trades um, to the general public. And the updated list at the end of the day will show the change in weight from the prior day, which a change in weight Indicates a change in conviction or a change in the stock price, the underlying stock price. Those are two things that can change the weight of the holding within the fund. Um, so those are the two sources of truth. It's taking those and it's putting them into a format that could then be kind of rearranged and combined with different financial metrics from, uh, you know, a bunch of different APIs that allow us to look at different things. Um, you know short interest, all of the the different metrics that you might look at normally within finance. But uh, I'll tell you, I I wasn't particularly adept with financial APIs before this. As I'm a software engineer by training, that's a big part of my background. Um, And an API allows you to use someone else's data or use a company's data that you usually pay for and use it in your own projects or companies. That's the definition, or that's a pretty general definition of an API. Um, use their data or services, I guess. But either way, in this case, it's data. And the financial data APIs are just a, a wild, wild west of missing data and outages and kind of hacky data that doesn't ever really give you everything you need. So the lattice work on top of Kathy's arc that provides like full financial data for All of the worldwide exchanges from Hong Kong to London to the United States, Um, there's recently, well, I guess they launched in London. But anyway, from worldwide financial data, it was hard to string together, but uh, starting to become a little bit more ironed out. So that's the data portion of Kathy Stark.
0: Yeah, credit to you for putting it together in a comprehensible way. Um, I've never really seen it presented quite the way you do. And I would also point out, I think you do a really good job on the site, too, of of clarifying natural questions people would have. Um, So when you're looking at kind of holdings of an individual company um, in any of the ARK funds, you have this disclaimer that says, why did the number of shares of a company held in an ARK ETF go up or down even when no trades are reported? I definitely had the the same question kind of looking at uh, the holdings of an individual company like Tesla over time. So yeah, it'd be great if you could talk a little bit about the answer to that question and why it's important.
1: I am very glad you asked this question. This is a a major question that most people have and a lot of people make a mistake on. The reason why Tesla, let's just take Tesla as an example, right? It's held in four different ARK ETFs and very rarely does ARK report a trade on Tesla unless it's profit-taking. If the stock goes way up, ARK will sell a little bit because they want to cap the percentage holdings at about 10%. Aside from that, you would think that the number of shares held in each ETF would remain exactly the same. If there's no trade reported, you would think that if there were 100,000 shares yesterday, there would be 100,000 shares today. However, this is the mechanics of how active ETFs work. So if you come into the stock market and you say, all right, I want to own 100 shares of ARK Innovation Fund. If you come in and you make that purchase and the net asset value of the shares that back up that share of, or that 100 shares of ARC Innovation ETF, if the net asset value is too high, if it, if it represents a premium to the actual stocks underneath, the price that you're paying, ARC is gonna create you a brand new share or brand new 100 shares of the ARC Innovation ETF. So what they do is they go out into the market and they buy more shares of Tesla to make up the 10% holding for each of those 100 shares that you have purchased. And that discrepancy, those little trades that come with share creation and destruction are the little wiggles that you see. It's not a change in conviction. It's actually, if you see it go up, what it means is there are inflows coming into the ARK Innovation ETF if you see it go down, that means that there are outflows and shares are being destroyed. And so Tesla is selling those shares back into the market. That is the difference. I don't know if it, did I explain that well? Or is there no, something that I could touch on a little bit?
0: That's great. Yeah, I think it's super interesting that you can see the weight of an individual holding, go up or down, have nothing to do with the conviction uh, behind Kathy Wood or anyone else um, in her company. Uh, on a related note, you, you've also had a post pretty recently – about how um, certain names in the funds, you know, Kathy Wood um, and the fund in general are, are hesitant about owning more than a percentage, a specific percentage of an entire company, especially if they're in a small cap or, or mid cap. Um, yeah, I'd love if you could talk about that and also maybe some other factors for why um, the change in a holding from day to day or week to week doesn't necessarily say anything about the conviction um, behind a particular name. Sure.
1: Um, and before we do that, though- I just want to touch back really quick on the share creation and destruction because it, what it does is it also kind of hides a little bit of risk that's present within ETFs and index funds in the market. And it does uh, hide a little bit of risk that's in ARK as well. So right, what we're seeing now, since we are in an uptrend, most of the time, the shares are going up a little bit. They're not going down a little bit. They're going up a little bit because there are inflows into the fund. Now, there's a big market correction and people start selling their shares of the ARK ETF. ARK is going to end up destroying some of those shares. And in doing so, they're going to sell their holdings of the underlying stocks back into the market. So by redeeming your ETF shares or selling them, in many cases, it puts downward pressure on the underlying stocks. So if there's a correction... Individual sellers of the stock will put downward pressure, but also big funds that are holding these companies um, can put additional downward pressure. It's kind of this uh, hidden risk that you have within things like this and certainly within ARK ETF because they trade in – this will lead nicely nicely into ownership – because they frequently trade in – Uh, companies that have not low liquidity, but certainly lower liquidity than many other companies. There are a number of holdings in their portfolio that are under a billion dollars. And so they represent a major shareholder in a lot of the companies. Um, I think their highest percentage right now is just about 20%. And that is the company Compugen. It's an Israeli company based in the genomic sector. Uh, you had pointed out, Ben, when we had talked via email, that uh, it was Nano Dimension that was up around 30%. And that was true at that point in time. And I pointed out in the Daily Arc Digest note that they were probably willing to hold about that amount because they would do a secondary offering. And sure enough, over the last few weeks, they've done a number of secondary offerings, which has diluted Arc's ownership down quite a bit. Um, but To continue on how much of a company Arc is willing to own, I certainly can't speak for Arc. I don't make that clear right now. I'm not affiliated with Kathy Woods or Arc Invest at all. I'm just a third interested party fan and investor with them, but. It seems from the data that they are never willing to, or very, very rarely willing to own more than 16, 17% of a company. Every now and again, they'll touch 20. And like we talked about 30% with nano dimension, but the ones that they get that high with, it seems to be a good case or a good chance that they're gonna end up doing a secondary offering, which means the company is just gonna issue more stock into the stock market, which dilutes the current owners.
0: That's really interesting, yeah. The, so- yeah, I was going to say, you touched on forced buying and forced selling. We've talked a little bit about ownership. Um, yeah, totally. If you were saying something, definitely want you to continue. The, the point I was going to bring up too is, you know, ARC also seems to uh, publish a ton of white papers. Uh, Kathy's consistently on CNBC. Uh, even Brett Winton, who I think is the head of research there, has been on a couple of podcasts. So I was going to ask if um, some of this forced buying and selling and kind of other uh, mechanics of the fund that might be, not be related to conviction um, how some of these square with public statements um, and public materials the company puts out um, and, and whether you found anything useful in terms of squaring the um, holdings in the fund with what they represent publicly
1: that's a good question
0: um, what they
1: say publicly definitely reflects their holdings within the fund and their convictions they speak what they they practice what they preach um, they very rarely, if ever, I would say, are in a company that they would put something out on Twitter that they're like, nah, eh, we're not really sure about this. Or, you know, this company said that this was the thing, but we actually don't think that that's the case. I've never seen an instance where they end up owning that company and they go backwards. ARC really does trade on its research very highly. Um, I do think that they do some technical work. I Some people... Some people ask whether or not they use technical analysis. I have no idea if Arcs ever commented, but I think that they probably do a little bit. Someone looks at the charts when they, when they do trades.
0: Um, any yeah. trades in particular, and I know you wrote about this a ton daily on your blog, um, that kind of stand out to you in terms of uh, them having increasing conviction on a particular stock?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, there are a number of interesting trades that have happened lately, They're all worth noting whenever the trade email comes out. They're all worth noting. But the most interesting ones really of late all revolve in the genetic space. The genomics trade is really starting to turn on. It's starting to work. Companies in that space are actually starting to make money and produce products that are going to truly enrich lives and make life on this planet significantly different than it is now. Diseases will be cured, people will live longer and better lives, and a lot of the most interesting trades are in that space. The first two that come to mind, we've seen ARC starting to buy Codexis, which is a small company uh, based out of Southern California that is a protein engineering company. And they do all sorts of different industrial protein engineering from chemicals and soaps to kind of everything in between. That's what they do. They engineer proteins for for different companies. Why that's interesting is because I think it was about two weeks now, might have been three weeks now, Google announced AlphaFold, which is its machine learning solving solution to the problem of protein folding. And protein folding is... Above my head, I get it conceptually, but I cannot explain it to the person. Aside from proteins need to fit in a particular shape for them to interact with each other and other things within the environment and to do specific things. There are hundreds of points that need to meet up and interlace like a puzzle in order for the protein to do what somebody engineering proteins wants it to do. It's a huge math problem. It's this giant thing that we didn't think was gonna be solved until quantum computing came around this has been being worked on for over 50 years and so when google announced alphafold it was a sea change moment within the healthcare space and many other spaces but largely in healthcare space that um said okay well we solved this problem now this is going to amplify the ability to solve all of these problems google's announcement of alphafold was that moment essentially how i view alphafold for google is I view Google as becoming the search engine for protein folding. That's what AlphaFold represents to me. And Codexis is in a position to take advantage of that. They are a foundational layer there. And so I think that they'll be able to take advantage of that. And that's my guess as to why Arc is buying them. They're also buying Google and adding them to the Arc Genomic Fund, which is a clear indication of the AlphaFold potential. It's a huge cap company that they normally don't do that with. So there could be other reasons why they're adding Google, but I think at least a good chunk of the reason has to do with alpha
0: Yeah, that's super interesting. I've definitely heard Kathy say she thinks kind of the uh, genomic space is the next thing. Um, that, that does segue well into my next question. So you mentioned Google, and many people would think of them uh, as an internet company as, a, as opposed to a genomics company, but obviously they're getting a place in ArcG. Um, so if you're looking at ArcG, you can invest in four different funds and I've noticed like a number of the genomics names appear to cross over into Arc, uh, which is the innovation fund, ArcG, ArcW, which is the next gen fund, um, and ArcF, which is the fintech fund. Um, let's say you know you're looking for genomics exposure, uh, but perhaps you're a bit wary of going into ArcG and going all in. It, or can you buy any of the other ETFs and still get exposure to that space? Oh, for sure. Yes,
1: you could get into ARK, the Arc Innovation Fund. And you would get genetics exposure for sure. I don't know off the top of my head the percentage. That's a really good question. Actually, I should know that. And that should be a feature on the site. Um, but I don't know what the overlap is. I do know that the second highest holding within ARC innovation, I believe, is CRISPR and DT is top five. So if you don't want to go all in on genomics in ARC, ARC would be an excellent, an excellent second pick. Even, I mean, ARC is. The best ideas of ARC Invest. It really is all of their best ideas rolled into one their best hits, if you will, or their biggest hits, if you will. So, yes, um, if you don't want to go all in on ARC and you want to go with ARC K, you'll get plenty of genomics exposure.
0: I'm invested in RK, but mainly just because it's the flagship fund and I hadn't really taken the time to investigate the other ones. I think an interesting feature of your site is you do have the combined holdings in there and it's very easy to see if a trade was made for uh, one of the ETFs, maybe it was uh, also in the other ETFs and you you touch on that in your analysis as well. Have you noticed any interesting patterns in terms of kind of multi ETF exposure? Um, Does Kathy think actively about I'm going to have it in one ETF. It's going to be this much exposure in the other ETF, or do they operate more separately?
1: They seem to move. uh, The word here would be beta, really, the weighting in each each fund. The beta isn't one. It's a little bit less than that, but it's pretty close. For high-conviction holdings, if a buying opportunity presents itself, the ARK Invest team will usually buy it in every fund that it's available in, or two of three. Um, rarely, I don't think I've ever seen a four fund purchase. There are only, I think, four stocks that are in four different funds. But companies like DocuSign and TDoc, TeleDoc and DocuSign, they are in three different funds. And we've seen multiple trades, multiple days where they trade in Arc Innovation Fund, Arc Finance Fund, and the Arc Next Web Fund. It does. It definitely does happen. It doesn't happen all the time, but. If a buying opportunity happens, they will pull the trigger. Just a few days ago, uh, Teladoc dove on about ten percent on the news that Amazon was moving into the telehealth space. And on that day, ARC purchased Teladoc in three different funds. And on the trading floor, we we saw this happening. Someone posted the Amazon. Someone posted the Amazon news, and we watched the stocks fall. And then we were. Someone was like, "Well, I wonder if." ARK is going to sell here. And I was like, well, I wonder if ARK's going to buy here. Because if they buy here, that's a really big sign of conviction. And sure enough, that day, they had they had bought three times.
0: Makes sense. Yeah, the, the Amazon, uh, they, there seems to be a good number of stocks that react very negatively to Amazon entering their space. But in the long term, it can be positive. What comes to mind is uh, Square, I think, Amazon came out with a, a competitive product. Uh, might have been when they were private. Uh, but Square obviously had, had no issues coming back from that. Um, it's interesting you mentioned Teladoc because I know you've written on that on the blog a lot. As you said, they own it across three funds. Um, it'd be great if you could put some numbers in terms of how much uh, Kathy has been increasing the Teladoc position, and also some reasons um, why they seem to have so much conviction around the stock.
1: It's a really good question, and I think a lot of people, um, I think a lot of people actually have that question, including myself. A lot of people wonder because it doesn't seem like. We're going to be in the pandemic forever, right? It looked like a pandemic play at first. Teledoc is, you know, everyone's home and people are going to need telehealth medicine and all of these things that were kind of pandemic related. But I actually think we had a discussion about this recently, and I, I actually think that Teledoc does fit more into the genomic space and the shift in medicine that's going to happen due to the different types of treatments and tests that are going to come out. So, Sorry, I'm just looking at the numbers, and since October, ARC has increased their position in Teladoc from, has increased at about 250%, and it represents about 3.75% of all of the ARC portfolio. So combined, 3.7% of the entire ARC portfolio, including all five, All five funds they own about four and a quarter percent of the company but to elaborate on why Teladoc is kind of interesting in this way is um, so if you think about let's take it let's take exact science for for this example exact science right now the general way that you would go about getting tested for colorectal cancer is you would go into the doctor's office and you would get a colonoscopy you would actually have to go in it's a very uncomfortable procedure everyone should get tested for colorectal cancer let me say that now so get a colo get a colonoscopy or um, use exact sciences colo guard but exact science colo guard takes the colonoscopy out of the picture and actually sends a kit to your house that allows you to send a sample of your stool into them for them to test whether or not you have markers, DNA markers for colorectal cancer. And so it's this kind of thing, this at-home medicine that's going to allow companies like Teladoc to flourish, right? Exact Science and Cologuard doesn't do the part where the doctor has a conversation with you and tells you what you should and should not do and the prescription and looks at your risk factors and charts they don't do that but the doctor can and so if you don't have to go into the office to have that conversation and actually have the colonoscopy then we can just send you the kit and you can video chat with your doctor and that's one example of the kind of thing that Teladoc will be able to take advantage of as time goes on. I mean, they're in a number of different spaces, therapy, they're, you know psych- psychiatric health, there's a number of different things that they do, but Teladoc is just in an advantage to take, in a position to take advantage of all of the, you don't have to go anywhere to get the things that you need shift that is happening right now. That's what they do. And they're doing it in the medicine space.
0: Super interesting. Yeah. It makes, makes me want to own some more of Teledoc myself. Um, kind of flipping it around. I mean, obviously when, when they increase one position, it's, it's generally at the expense of another position. So I'd love to hear about some trends in terms of positions that Kathy has downsized over time, as well as any commentary on why you think that downsizing is happening. Yeah,
1: there are, you do see this um, from time to time for sure. And the one that struck me the most um, since I've been doing this was I think it was back in, I think it was back in October at this point in time, might've been late September, but they started to liquidate their Illumina holdings. And Illumina is the biggest genomic sequencer in the world. They have equipment in most research labs around the country and in foreign countries and universities. They handle, if you send your DNA somewhere to get sequenced or someone asks for some strain of DNA to be sequenced, it's usually done on Illumina machinery. And back in a few months ago, they announced that they were purchasing Grail, which is a different business than Illumina was in. Illumina was in essentially a picks and shovel play of we'll be the testers. You send us your genetic material. We'll sequence it for you. And they moved out of that category a little bit. And it was very fast liquidation by ARK across all funds to get out of Illumina. So... I was very surprised to see that because Illumina is a market leader. It is truly the market leader in genetic sequencing. It spoke a great deal on their conviction of what they really think is going to happen in the future of genomics to do that so quickly. And they've had to put that money to work in other different genomic areas, but um, they pulled the trigger very fast. And to speak frankly, I had Illumina as a, as a holding in my portfolio as a single stock, because I looked at them as the genomic leader in that space and that they were going to go farther. So when ARC signaled that, I was like, okay, well, I don't know nearly as much as they do. I, I think I should probably get out of this position. And I did. But uh, that was the one that really kind of struck me the most. They they exited that very fast.
0: Yeah, they must have hated that Grail acquisition. Uh, it's kind of interesting yeah. that you also exited along with them? Like, how closely do you think your personal uh, portfolio mirrors what ARK does, um, if at all? And I guess if it doesn't, like, where do you break with some of their investing philosophy?
1: It does, it should, I should say, like, I never want to manage anybody else's money. I don't think I would be a good money manager. That's not, that's not what I do. So, I'm, I'm glad that um, I can speak freely about my portfolio. And that, Nothing I say is a recommendation. Obviously, do your thing, but I got to say it. Um, I own a little bit of ARC G and then I own individual stocks. Every stock that I own has a home in one of the ARC ETFs, more, usually more than one. So my long term holdings is a basket of overweighted stocks that is not diversified in a responsible manner according to virtually every financial professional. And that's just the risk that I am willing to take. But yeah, about half my portfolio is in Tesla stock. And then about another 40% of it is in genomic stock. Uh, About 10% of it is in open door. And then I have a very, I have a significant holdings of Bitcoin.
0: I am that guy. I'd be amiss if I didn't ask you about your top holdings. Uh, (laughs) So yeah, I'm interested in talking about Tesla, and open door, maybe we can do a, a quick Bitcoin as well. So on Tesla, I mean, it has to have been a roller coaster ride owning that. And obviously no one's been better uh, than ARK Investing in terms of defending their Tesla thesis. Um, so yeah, talk a little bit about like why you originally entered into Tesla and it, whether you were tempted to sell at all in the last three years. As a disclaimer, like I owned Tesla back in 2017 and during the whole 420, uh, you know, take private yeah. drama <laughs> I, I sold. But, you know, hat tip to you for being able to weather the storm here.
1: Um, sure. Yeah. I, of course, Tesla's always fun to talk about. It. I wish I had gotten in earlier, like everybody else in the world. But I hadn't really been paying attention that much at that point in time. I had essentially indexed most of my portfolio, and I just because I was focusing on other things in life. But well, around 2017, I started to pay quite a bit of attention again, and Tesla to me looked like a high-risk, high-reward play that was still in the early days because if they pulled off what they were saying they were going to pull off, it was going to be just this momentous company that was probably going to shake the earth and change everything that we know about. Um, in terms of transportation and energy, that was a big thing is the vertical integration of Tesla. You know, they own Solar um, the the solar roofs. Essentially what Tesla is trying to do is you have a house with a roof on it that collects energy, dumps it into your car. You are kind of energy independent. That's how I see Tesla is a company that's trying to give everybody energy independence. In addition to autonomous vehicles, which is a data mode game, and they started early. And that was very clear that if they got started early, they would be the leader in it and should be able to defend their position. So um, I got in, I think it was like, I don't know. 200 dollars a share or something like that but anyway back in 2017 and so I didn't have a problem holding it it was just a long term holding that I, I felt like ten years was good to go on but come the pandemic I was definitely in a position to load up on more Tesla and I did I was very fortunate to I was very fortunate to be in a position to acquire a lot more Tesla in March um, just as a I don't know, you know, it's an interesting story. I a good chunk of my investment came from an old 401k company, and I left the company in December. In January of this year, I rolled the 401k over, and I started that process on January 21st. It took about 30 days to get the check, and at that point in time, the idea of COVID was just starting to royal the markets, and it looked like it was going to be a big deal. And so I didn't put the money back to work, but I did put it all back to work, on March 13th. And so I had this huge windfall of like a trade that was total luck in terms of I just didn't happen to be in the market. And then when the market crashed 30%, I was like, well, this is the time to buy if there's ever time to buy. So I put it all to work. I was able to buy a lot of Tesla in that trade um, or in a sequence of trades. But um, Tesla In my view, I agree, it's going to be the first $5 trillion company. I think it'll take them less than 10 years to get there. At this point in time, it's just a matter of how fast they'll get there and who they're going to put out of business on the way there. It's not a question to me anymore. Um, And I think a lot of people are starting to see that light. That's why you're seeing the company continue to rise at the speed that it's rising. The only thing that Tesla is constrained by is building enough factories and actually getting capacity so that they can deliver their product. But what they are able to do with the share price it is is now is just do secondary offering after secondary offering. What's $5 billion when you're selling into a $700 billion market cap, which is incredible because one gigafactory costs about $5 billion. So every time they can do that, they get to increase their capacity. It's very cool. I think Tesla is in a -a once-in-a-lifetime position it's like Microsoft back in 1980s. People are going to retire on Tesla. It's going to be that kind of company.
0: That's awesome. Easy what hold. It, what Easy impeccable hold. timing. Yeah. Uh, a dude, right? That's <laughs> tip to you for, for holding through the storm. I mean, yeah, what an incredible trade. And, and I guess as a segue, a couple follow-ups here. So I think a lot of people perhaps incorrectly think that Tesla is the, you know, the, The most of the reason why ARK has had such an incredible performance over the last uh, year or so. And I think you you see days like today and, you know, Tesla was down whatever percent, but the the funds were actually up uh, kind of on the strength of the genomics trade. I mean, no one would know better than you. Um, How much has Tesla contributed to ARK's return this year and in previous years? Um, And additionally, like, I think another thing that perhaps some people aren't aware of is like, uh, ARK has tried to manage their Tesla position and not get it to, not have it be too large. Um, so, it'd be great to hear some of the mechanics around that as well. Sure.
1: Um, I can't, I don't have a perfect number on uh, how much Tesla has contributed to Arc's rise this year. It's definitely significant, but I would be ballparking it. Uh, I don't have the d- perfect data on that. So, I wish I could answer that question a little bit better, uh, but I don't want to overextend my knowledge there. Oh, no the, problem. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. You were going to say this?
0: Yeah. I was going to ask you, like if you could talk about some of the tools you do have, um, on Kathy's arc in terms of figuring out the contribution, um, of certain names in terms of overall performance.
1: Oh, sure. Sure. Um, but they do to answer your previous question, the, uh, They do have a cap on how much they will hold in a portfolio. It's about, it's between 10 and 11%. They'll let it get to 11%, but they'll almost always sell it. We've seen this with Square. We've seen this with Tesla. It's just smart portfolio management. When you own, when you have that much money and that much going for you um, in terms of clients, you you can't let a position get too big. Otherwise, on days like yesterday and the day before when Tesla's down six, 7%, the fund is just is just crashing and you'll end up getting redemptions. It's just not good portfolio management. Um, So we've only really seen that in the last couple of months or since the beginning of March with Tesla and Square, but they do keep, it's pretty clear that they will keep within certain funds, the percentage of the fund waiting seems to be 10% for their absolute convictions, which is Tesla. but. 7% Seven percent for a company like Square, five percent for a company like CRISPR. Five percent is like their tier three. Is like their tier three ceiling weight. Seven uh, percent is their tier two, and their absolute highest is uh, ten to ten percent. Um, but yeah, you can see this, and i i have been uh, I have been working to get. A more long-term view up, but right now you can go back 60 days to see the contribution of what a stock has contributed to the overall performance of any of the Ark ETF. So, if you go to if you go to Ark, ARKK forward slash performance, you'll see one day, seven days, 30 days, and 60 days, and what you'll see there is a heat map that shows how much any stock has contributed to the Increase or decrease of the underlying ETF over that period of time. So, if you were to go and look at yesterday's, like yesterday, Tesla was way down, and you would see like this big red square, this big red rectangle of Tesla dragging ARC K down, but then you would see these much bigger rectangles of many of the genomic stocks like Adidas and CRISPR. Pulling ARC up. So it's this really interesting way of seeing what is actually contributing to the ARC ETFs over time. You can see what is happening because a lot of the argument is it's only Tesla that's doing this and they're only up because of Tesla. And that is patently false. They have been excellent at picking stocks that are moving in the direction that they want them to move.
0: Definitely. Yeah. And I, I totally recommend people check out that performance tab. I use it a lot when I'm thinking about. Um, ARC's performance in ArK and in some of the other funds. Um, yeah, I want to keep going through your portfolio and also use it as a way to talk about uh, some what ARC's doing as well as Kathy's ARC. So Open Door, uh, super interesting name. Um, yeah, I'd love to hear about your thesis for um, why you're invested in it. I think um, Kathy is also invested in Zillow and some of the funds as well, which I don't know if you would call that a competitor. But yeah, if I could hear the thesis on Open Door. I mean, I, I think they're in some of the um, ARC funds as well, if I'm not mistaken.
1: They are. They, they definitely are. They started buying them. Uh, door just started trading under the ticker OPEN, O-P-E-N, on Monday. It was a SPAC put together by Shamath bahia Hapatiya a few months ago. It was IPOB was the ticker, so it just, tra- just changed over. And when it was announced, the ARK Invest team started buying it. So they actually own a pretty decent amount of Opendoor what's so interesting about open door is it is a incredibly difficult problem that they are trying to solve. And so here we are again, where if they solve it, if they can figure out how to solve it or even solve just a fraction of it, they are in a position to own a giant piece of the entire housing market, which is such a valuable market, um, I can't remember the name or the number off the top of my head, but it's trillions of dollars is the the residential real estate market. And that's what they are in. So what Open Door does is Open Door will buy your property from you. They'll give you a price on the spot and you can essentially hit yes or no and sell, you, sell your house to them almost immediately. It takes 10, 15 minutes, something like that. They only do it in select markets because what they do is they run algorithms to determine what the fair value of your house is based on X number of factors. Obviously, we don't know all of them, but that's part of their secret sauce is they are able to know a housing market so well, gather gather all of this data, ask you certain questions about your house, give you an offer on it, and that offer is going to be less than they can can sell it for after whatever improvements they wanna put on the house. And so essentially what Door is trying to do is solve the liquidity problem of buying and selling residential real estate. Instead of me owning a home and selling it to you, Ben, I will sell it to Door, and Door will sell it to you. And I will do that and take maybe a little bit less than I would take if I sold it to you directly because it's gonna be so much easier. It's gonna be frictionless. And therefore I'm willing to just do it that way, as opposed to going through the whole home buying process, which takes months and I've got to clean my house and I got to show it and I have to do all of this and maybe I have to do some repairs. Door is willing to accept some of the risks there because they think they can negate them with their algorithm and their data. And that is why Open Door is so interesting because I can see that value proposition I don't really want to own a home. I'm a perennial renter simply because I I don't want the idea of having to be locked into a house for 6 to 8 months if I need to go somewhere else. And so if open door unlocks liquidity and allows housing to be transacted within a month, that's a huge turnaround. It's huge efficiency. It's just a giant opportunity that if they solve it, and again, that's the question, if they solve it it will be worth, it's hard to say.
0: Yep. Super well, disruptive wow. company. And as you mentioned, they came public via SPAC. And as is the, the case of many companies, you know, a ton are, are coming public via SPAC. This also has been a year of a ton of IPOs. I'm wondering with Kathy's Ark, obviously they do add new names to the portfolio from time to time. Are they kind of picking um, new companies that just went public, um, companies that have been public for a long time, or have you seen any patterns there?
1: They do pick up some new companies, fresh IPOs, and some SPACs even. They are willing to buy anything that fits their thesis for sure. They'll they'll buy anything that fits their thesis. And I think it's worth noting that if you think it fits their thesis and they don't buy it, it doesn't fit their thesis. It's probably not a valuation thing on an IPO or a SPAC basis. They're pretty young. That's generally when you would want to get in anyway. So I open door an IPOB, they recently bought um they bought space uh which is or spce which is virgin galactic and they bought lgbw which is butterfly and butterfly makes portable imaging portable medical imaging tools really right now they're they're the one that they do is uh what's the one you get during oh what is that called you go in you're pregnant and you do the thing with the baby what is that called
0: I know what you're talking about. I can't recall the name uh, on my head. It's important. <laughs> it's a big, yes, big total very, adjustable market.
1: Yeah, I can see the image. It's very, yeah, it's very important. But anyway, they make those so that you can do that with your phone and the equipment that Butterfly makes. Um, somebody out there is screaming at their phone right now. It's called the, uh, but anyway, that's what they do. So if something fits their thesis and they bought it into ArcG, they will, uh, they'll buy it. Uh, Yes, for sure. I think that those are the only real SPACs that they've done, IPOB and LGVW. They have done, they bought Unity as soon as it came out. They bought Palantir as soon as it came out. And I think that there might be a few others. It's notable to mention that they did not buy Airbnb. Airbnb is not currently in the portfolio. This was a big question within our community of whether or not Airbnb was going to make it on IPO, and they did not. So maybe it is a valuation thing, but it's it's worth noting.
0: Yeah, I was just thinking on the IPO side. I mean, many kind of more like seasoned investors, more value investors, I suppose I should say, would tell you, like, don't buy the IPOs because of the lockup period. It's perhaps not the best time to buy. Uh, something you said earlier kind of stood out to at me is, is you think there's evidence that they trade on technicals a bit. Um, do you think the, the IPOs they're buying could be part of this? Um, or like, I guess we could just go in general. Why do you think um, there's evidence that they're buying based on technicals as opposed to fundamentals?
1: I can't point to something specific other than I'm, I'm pretty well versed with charts and I've been looking at them for a very long time so you can see when something looks like ah, this kind of looks like it's going to move and frequently that thought pops in when I see Arc make a trade and I'm like that looks like a spot where you should buy it if you're trying to trade on technicals so I don't have proof that that's the case I absolutely do not just a feel of if I were going to trade this based on the chart, that's where I would buy it. It happens all the time. I feel like um,
0: so. Yeah. yeah, I think I agree with you. I mean, the the Palantir trade clearly was a home run for them. Um, yeah. Cool. So on your personal portfolio, I want to close out um, that discussion with a little Bitcoin discussion. You know, it feels like probably no podcast is complete um, without it. So yeah, Bitcoin. We could go over why you're investing in it, and also like I think this is a huge part of the Arc F um, thesis in terms of uh, companies. Kathy invests in so yeah, what do you like about uh, Bitcoin and kind of the Bitcoin ecosystem and also how has Arc played the Bitcoin trend?
1: Yes, so My thesis on Bitcoin is really very simple. It's about as simple as um, I think anybody else's and it what what makes it so great is that it is so simple There's a limited supply of Bitcoin. Nobody can tell you whether or not you can own Bitcoin or not own Bitcoin So it is essentially to steal from Naval Ravikant. It's a Swiss bank account that anybody can own. You can park your money there and it will always be yours. No one can ever touch it without your saying so. So it has all of these incredible security features. It has a limited supply. It's a great store of value. You can transact it almost immediately. So we have just an environment where everything lines up. You know, supply and demand lines up. We have money being printed all over the world. People are starting to buy into it. You have a trend behind it. Why you wouldn't want to own Bitcoin at this point in time? At least a sliver of it is beyond me. I I I don't see why you wouldn't want to own it. I mean, maybe it is a bubble, but I don't think so. I don't really want to ever sell my Bitcoin. It's pretty much a uh, a backstop to anything really bad that could happen. If I You know, if I ever really need money, I kind of look at Bitcoin as that last gasp measure of, I can always get that. That's always available to me. And maybe the volatility behind that is why people, why other people don't look at it like that. But to me, it's, that's mine and I can always touch it and somebody will be able to transact with me. So from a security standpoint, that's more important to me than whether or not it holds a perfect value, you know, day in and day out. So I think a lot of other people are seeing that. In terms of the ARC side of it, ARC used to own Bitcoin. They owned it back in 2017 and they owned it in the fund, but they can't own it in the fund now, or they can, but it has a different tax uh, basis. It has a different tax classification. And so if ARC owns it within the fund, I'm gonna get this a little bit wrong, but if it accounts for too much of the profit within the fund, the IRS will confiscate all of the other gains that happen within the fund. Essentially, if I understood Kathy correct, essentially capping the possible returns of all the other stocks that can be hold- held within the fund. So it doesn't make sense for them to own Bitcoin because it caps everything else. However, they do own scale Bitcoin Trust, which trades under GPTC, and they own Silvergate Capital. And they own Square and they own PayPal. So they definitely do have exposure to it. And they are big Bitcoin fans. And what is frequently lost is that they have other funds that aren't open to the public. And within that fund, they have 7% exposure to Bitcoin, 7%. So that is a top five holding within whatever else is going on that portfolio. It's not public. But uh, Kathy recently did an interview. She talks about it. It's worth going to, to listen to. It's on Bloomberg. But she says it's 7% of that portfolio. So that would put it on par with Square and just behind Tesla, you know, CRISPR. Their conviction in Bitcoin is immense for sure.
0: Awesome. I will definitely check that interview out. Um, Yeah, I actually was going to ask about Square because this one, looking at the chart on um, kathysarc.com, it does look like the Square position has moderately increased since September. Obviously, they're close to 10% on RCAF, so I don't know if they can cross that threshold. But would love to hear your thoughts on Square Um, as well as kind of any other Bitcoin proxies they have in the portfolio and whether they've been increasing their position in any of them. Sure. Um,
1: They have, so my thoughts on Square, I feel like I'll mostly be parroting back Arc rather than any of my own take. They have pretty much nailed it. And so for anybody that listens to this, you should realize that a lot of it is based on Cash App and the network network effect of Cash App, being able to to transact very quickly with your network. What Cash App did was was they went in and at the beginning of this year, Cash App is like a Venmo, if you're not particularly familiar, Um, Cash Cash App started to really soak into a large portion of the population. I think it has tens of millions of users at this point in time. People get on Cash App, they are able to transact with each other, they're able to transact with businesses, and now they're able to transact in Bitcoin. So Cash App for Square is really a global play eventually where Cash App is going to be a worldwide thing. A lot of that has to do with Bitcoin and putting Bitcoin within Cash App and then going to places where their currency isn't particularly stable. Right. If you live in a, a, an African country that has a political regime that's not stable, frequently you'll get printing of money that just totally devalues all the populace's holdings. So Bitcoin, in that sense, works with Cash App and will eventually be a global product for Square. And I think that's where a lot of the growth lies. Um, one of the really interesting things about Square, though, is they're going to be a bank. They filed a charter for a bank, I believe it was in Utah, it got approved. They're gonna be a full-fledged bank come 2021. I think it it goes into effect in July. And so they're a fully integrated uh, financial player. They're going to have Cash App, they're gonna be able to do bank accounts. It's totally branchless. So essentially Square is the next generation of banking. They'll be able to lend, they'll be able to facilitate transactions. And they'll have a lot of financial data on the people that are on the company or that, that are on the Square platform that other banks don't. Um, so that's one of the big things with Square is it's essentially Square saying, all, right, all of the branches and, you know, the Welsh Fargo app that kind of sucks and it just doesn't work very well. And you tried to do Zelle, which is like a, a finicky thing like Venmo, we're going to let you go we're not going to use you anymore. Everybody's going to come to square and it's going to be because our product is so much easier to use so much better. And because it takes advantage of next generation technology like Bitcoin.
0: Makes complete sense. Yeah. I've, I've looked at Pfizer a bit, which is a legacy player and uh, definitely tries to leverage Zelle a bit, but, but just watching um, Kathy's exposure to square kind of tick off has made me second guess myself. Awesome. Well, I'd like to kind of spend the, the close out of this discussion talking about some of the, the tools you've built um, and Kathy's arc. It seems like you could do a million different things on it. I'm sure your users use it in a million different ways, but I want to uh, focus in on how you use it and how you'd recommend kind of new users approaching the website. Um, if they're interested in kind of using this for trade ideas, uh, to figure out which RKTf to invest in or kind of whatever they're looking for.
1: Sure. Um, let's see. How should a new user how should a new user use it that's a good question the first thing that i would probably do is i would go to the website and i would just look through arkk don't think about anything else that's the big one that's the one that has all of the important holdings in it and just browse through the list just look at the different companies that are in there use the table to see what the market caps are get familiar with the companies if you're gonna own arc you might as well understand some of their top holdings and you can do that pretty easily here you just click a tesla you would go in and you would be able to see pretty easily what is going on with tesla in terms of arc and their conviction and then from there from there at the bottom i think that this is one of the most overlooked parts of kathy's arc is there research notes and commentary that you'll find for most stocks. It doesn't exist on all of them, but many of them have this section and a lot of different talking points that are from ARK. So if you go down to the research notes and commentary for Tesla, you'll see things like robotaxis could create a consumer pay- surplus equivalent to roughly 15% of US GDP. And if you clicked into that, you would be portaled over to ARK's website, that will show you all of their research on it and you'll be able to read a little bit more about it. So it aggregates a lot of the research that ARC does on Tesla right here for you to look at. There's also links for things in the trading floor in here as well. So um, that's where I would go if I were a new user, I would look at less maybe the technical, and trade portion of ARK and I would look into the research because these companies are truly interesting. It's worth understanding what you're holding if you're going to hold one of the ARK funds.
0: Definitely. Yeah, I really enjoy that feature myself. Um, Yeah, you mentioned the trading floor. Um, I want to talk about that. But the question that I I really want to answer is I think you put together this great kind of daily summary of of things that happened um, in the fund during the day, or maybe trends over a longer period of time. Um, How do you go about doing that? I mean, there's so much data to come through. How do you really land that kind of a cohesive one day summary?
1: It is partially feel, but it's also knowing what happened the previous five days, right? So if I have done it five days in a row, 10 days in a row, I've done it every day for quite some time. Now you get a sense of what's going on, what is important and what is an actual storyline and what is just maybe maintenance or maybe a little bit moving here, a little bit moving there, and an aggregation of the things that I read across the internet, like the alpha fold with Google and Codexis. Things just start to line up. But the things that I try and highlight are things that aren't necessarily obvious at first glance. You know, what is the correlation here? Why might this one stock that was bought and it's only 0.02% of the fund, why was that bought and is it important? And maybe when I look at that stock, I'll go in and I'll see, oh, this is a tiny company and ARC actually just bought 7% of the company. That's kind of important. Like that's a big deal. Even though it's a small portion of the ETF, the actual underlying company and what it what it uh, represents, that's worth pointing out to people. I think a lot of people come to Kathy's ARC because they want to be on the cutting edge of this company's not making money yet, or just starting to make money. And that's kind of what the daily Arc Digest hopes to shed some light on is, we know all of this stuff, like, okay, you sold, you bought some Shopify, everybody's buying Shopify, and we know that story, but what are all these other things that no one's really talking about that much? That's that's kind of what I try and um, focus on when I do the Arc Digest.
0: Yeah, on the Daily Arc, does any particular one stand out in terms of generating the most user reaction? I found it really interesting how a ton of people will always comment and ask questions once you post this.
1: Yes, people do comment and ask questions. It's great, actually. I, I love the comments. I think everybody else loves the comments. I find, them, I find the comments probably as valuable as other people find the, the, the daily post. Um, we've had some really interesting discussions within the comments of the digest. So the things that people have pointed out, TDoc has been the thing that we've talked about quite a bit. Um, But the last few days, it's been all genomics. And I am what I hoped to start what I hoped about the trading floor when it happened was when I decided to start the trading floor was that People that really had deep knowledge in an area would join and would from time to time chime in on subjects that myself and other members don't have enough knowledge to actually speak on. And that has happened at least a few times where we get people that really know the genetic space and they say, oh, well, this is actually this. And that thing that you pointed out is kind of right. But definitely take a look at this as well. It's been really good.
0: Yep, yeah, I think there's some awesome discussions there. I highly recommend everybody join. Yeah, I think there's so much potential here. I'd love to know, what does the future look like for Kathy's arc, both the website and the trading floor and anything else you're cooking up?
1: Um, I want the trading floor to become a toned down version. Not a toned down version, but let's just compare it to stock twits, right? You go on stock twits any company there it's just this cascade this waterfall of memes and some good information and a lot of promotion it's just not high quality material and it's not particularly it's not indexed you can't search it so what i'm hoping to do with the trading floor is bring together a lot of people that are in this stuff for the long term that are following these companies very closely and are interested and willing to comment on the goings-on and the different companies within the portfolio, so that we have a repository of information that new people into investing and new people into future technology can come into later on down the road and look at and read through and go, oh, I've always, you know, I'm just now getting into Open Door. Well, the Open Door topic has been in the trading floor for a year at that point in time, and there's all of this information that has rich discussion on it. That's what I'm really hoping the trading floor provides is the people that are traders and investors, but aren't just looking for somebody to tell them what to buy or what to sell or when to buy and when to sell, but really want to understand the currents that are powering the different companies within Arc and Arc portfolio. That's that's what I see the trading floor as. And that's what I hope it becomes um, for my purpose and for anybody else that that actually feels the same way there. In terms of the website, it's just incrementally improving it day to day. There's a lot of feedback that comes in and I try to incorporate it all and push out updates. I try to push out updates every day and improve the site little by little. And I'm always surprised by the feedback that comes in. People People suggest things and I am frequently like, I don't think I would use that. I don't know how I would use that. But then I start to build it and I put it in. And I'm like, oh, this is actually really useful. I'm so glad. I'll go back to the people and I'll be like, thank you for pointing that out. That's a really great feature. Um, I appreciate it. So it's just incremental improvements on the website. I want to keep it free forever. Actually, since we're getting close to the end of this, this is a really good segue into something that I, I was hoping to say is I want to keep it not behind a paywall forever. It's important that people can come to can find knowledge on the internet and particularly around investing. It's very hard to find good, clean investment advice and community and data that isn't behind a paywall or that isn't segmented off so that you can't get to it. Sure, I do need to pay the bills for Kathy's Ark and do all that. That is important. But investing for the longest time has been a rich person's game and it continues to be that way and i don't want to ever do that with kathy's ark i want to make sure that if you are new to investing you have a thousand dollars five thousand dollars and you're interested in all this stuff you can come to it for very cheap or for free completely and so that's something i definitely want to keep going with kathy's ark is that trend but on that note i really want to give a shout out to Kathy Woods, the ARK Invest team and Chamath Pahaliapatea, right? Like they are helping push forward what would have been private investment for years, right? The SPACs that would have been privately funded, or it would have just been a bunch of rich people or mutual funds that would have gotten access to that stuff. And so we have been able to participate in what will be huge economic growth because Kathy has said we're gonna make all of our research public. We're gonna be an active ETF. You're gonna see everything that we do. We might miss out a little bit, but we're not gonna put it behind closed doors because I don't know if she said this, but I like to think that she said it's better for the public if everybody gets to participate, even if it doesn't pad our pockets as much as it could have. So I, I really think that that's a trend that we should celebrate. I hope that it continues to stay that way because everybody should be able to participate in this. They really should.
0: I'm into that. And I think what you're doing is a huge part of that transparency and education. I mean, I, I just think having these ETFs that show what they're doing on a daily basis and having someone like you break down what's happening um, is, is super important. Um, on that note, I did want to ask if there's any one resource, and it could be multiple that has influenced you as an investor. It could be a Twitter account, a podcast, investing or non-investing book. Uh, but kind of where would you recommend kind a new investors start?
1: I would recommend new investors to start, man, it's been so long since I've been a new investor. So coming in at ground zero, coming in at ground zero, you should probably read or listen to uh, oh, what's his name? I it's a corny name, and he'll admit it. But I will teach you how to be rich. I think his name's Ramit. I can't remember his name, is it but
0: Ramit Sethi, I think.
1: Yep, bingo! Yeah. That's a guy. That's a guy. Yes, he has very good practical financial advice for all walks of life from the get go. If you're coming into investing at ground zero, start with something like that and understand how money works and what it is if you're if you understand markets a little bit and you are in tune with investing i would back up back out of the markets and get into psychology and understanding how things work why things work why humans act the way they do is the reason the markets move in the first place so our natural tendencies are the things that make a price go up or down so I would start with the very basics. I would recommend reading The Selfish Gene by Richard Dawkins. Go to the ground level of your own genetics. Know why you do the things that you do and why other people do the things that they do. And then take it up a level. Something like Thinking Fast and Slow is absolutely a groundbreaking book that will change the way you learn or the way you think about the actions that you take. And it might make you think a little bit slower before taking actions, which is almost always a good idea. Um, so those are the two things. They're not necessarily financial books, but I would highly, highly recommend putting those on the oh, shelf for sure. Awesome,
0: great recommendations. Uh, excited to to check those out. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show, Phil. This has been a blast.
1: Yeah, man. I really appreciate having me. Thank you so much, and best of luck to everybody in the market again
0: thanks for listening to hear more episodes of stock talking and read a blog with my latest trade recommendations market commentary and more visit postcoronastocks.com